Two years ago, the Federal Maritime Commission Chairman Dan Maffey sat in front of the Lloyd's List microphone and bluntly told the container carriers to buck up their Public Relations Act. They needed to do a better job of explaining the economics of container shipping and the industry's essential role in supporting commerce. That was his basic beef. Well, a lot has happened since then. So when Dan was in town recently, we couldn't pass up the opportunity to drag him once again into a small room and insist that he answer another stream of questions from our team. Um, A short disclaimer here. I'm afraid this one was recorded at the end of London International Shipping Week, so it's a few weeks old. But the conversation was too good not to let you have a listen. You can hear the combined forces of our containers editor, James Baker, our US correspondent, Toma Ranan, and Janet Porter, the chair of the Lloyd's List editorial board, all throwing questions his way. And we start with Janet. Well, perhaps, Dan, could you just sum up to begin with the relationship now between the Commission and shipping lines? It's been a bit fraught over the past few years. How would you summarise it now? I think it's pretty good. I mean, as you know, the world of ocean shipping is very interesting and almost a paradox because it is a global industry with multi-billion dollar companies uh, and many different kinds of stakeholders, and yet it's a small world. Everybody sort of knows each other. There's only nine major carriers in the world. And uh, and we try to be, to a certain extent, a collaborative regulator in that we don't uh, we, don't, we don't play a game of gotcha. We, we try to make it as clear as possible, including uh, dialogues with individual, care, individual lines that we do through our uh, uh, VOCC, or Vessel Operating Common Carrier Audit Program, that what you know, we expect and what will make sure that they uh, kind of stay out of, of trouble with us. Um, so you know, I've, one of the things I did over here before I came up to London Shipping Week is I was down in Marseille visiting with uh, CMA CGMs, uh, um, Executives, I have done that with other other lines um, as well, uh, and certainly, uh, certainly all of them are U.S. executives, and many of them they're uh, uh, home base executives. So, um, we, you know, we, we try to have that line of communication uh, open. Um, uh, now, are they upset about certain regulations? They may be, but the question is, are they upset with us, or are they really upset with Congress and the president? who passed the Ocean Shipping Reform Act that mandated that we do these things. So I, I, I think that uh, provided we uh, write the regulations in such a way that there aren't an unintended consequences, I think that you know they will look at it and go, well, this is a pain, but it doesn't hurt our business or, or really affect our overall uh, strategy. There has been a sense that OSRA um, uh, says one thing, or up to a point, and that FMC has taken that and maybe inched them a little bit further. In some circles, there's the there's in, there's comment anyway that perhaps. Yeah. Whether we're talking about the uh, the so-called um, uh, refusal to deal rule, which sort of in you know in effect involves exports, um, or the uh, detention and demerge billing rule, um, the comments like you know clearly yeah roughly half maybe a little less than half the comments say what you're saying. The other little less than half say that uh, we're not going far enough and that don't we, and, and by the way, including letters from the members of Congress and the senators that, you know, you're being too timid, you're being too, you know, this is, you know, we wanted you to do this. So, uh, you know, usually if, you know, half is telling you you're wrong in one direction, half in the other, you're probably getting something right. I think there was one comment that said, you know, you're, you guys are doing great, thank you. But. <laughs> 
you have, uh, you said the senators, uh, maybe the, the representative, they are asking for, they're saying you're too timid. How do you balance that? Um, because, you know, liners might be, you know, they're, they're the big businesses and, you know, they're sitting on billions of dollars of profits from the pandemic, but they don't have a constituency in the U.S. So they don't have any, you know, they don't have rep representatives putting pressure on you or trying to pass laws, um, you know, supporting them. So how do you balance all of these interests? Yeah, I mean, that's true, and certainly part of the politics that passed the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. And, and to be fair, it's, it's you know, I'm not, you know, I was, I was an advocate of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act myself. But, you know, I'm independent and, and, can, and can take that kind of position. Um, so, but at the end of the day, we want a smooth supply chain. And the challenge is if we come down too hard on the carriers in a way that doesn't make sense and, and sets the wrong incentives. One, they could bring less service to the U.S. or, or not as good service, um, or worse, uh, if a line goes out of business or is, feels it's forced to merge with someone, you could end up with less competition in the end, and that would hurt American customers. So mm -hmm. there, are there are certainly reasons to be balanced. Um, we are, as you uh, remember, a bipartisan commission, um, and we try to do things by consensus, partially so that if there are changes in government, uh, that, that you know, there's not any major changes in, in uh, ocean shipping uh, policy. And so, um, so we, tr you know, we try to get to that stage, and, and uh, uh, so that's one of the reasons. Um, but also, the law itself was, I mean, you know, we, we get both this the Ocean Shipping Reform Act doesn't do anything idea, and we also get the, it's, you know, it's re-regulating, et cetera. And, and of course, it's, it's, ni it's neither one of those. It, it, it enhances our, uh, I think probably, it, there's a couple of additional um, small authorities, but essentially enhances the authority we already have or reinforces some of the interpretations we had, for instance, the incentive principle on detention to merge. Um, and it, it allows, it gives us the resources really to be more of a referee on the field instead of just at the end of the day, you know, taking complaints from either team about the game. Um, but it does not get us involved in the, in the game. And, and so, uh, so if we're trying to follow the law itself, it, I think the law itself had a, a fairly balanced approach, right? We're, you know, and, and so as long as we don't go too far, you know, in that interpretation, um, you know, I think it'll be a balance, you know, fairly balanced uh, uh, measure. I mean, we, the law did not deal with things like competition policy and stuff. There were proposals, but they, they were not included in that, in that particular law. So a lot of the most controversial stuff or the places where the carriers would have the most concern weren't in there. Mm. There still seems to be the sense in Washington that foreign carriers mean bad. Are you able to persuade them that you, the foreign carriers are still just as competitive and provide the sort of service that the U.S. needs? Because the, you see this all the time, foreign is, in quotes, is not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the challenge is, is that it's not my job to persuade them. Mm. Um, it, and I certainly am willing to give uh, candid advice to the carriers, and, and frankly, I think some of them have made uh, strides. Uh, uh, a couple of them have hired uh, U.S. Uh, government relations people that have extraordinarily good reputations and, and have done a good job. 
um, and and but you know they still are a minority of them and uh, trying to explain the industry to folks. Look, there are substantial offices in the United States. Hapagloy uh, just moved 700 employees into Atlanta, Georgia, in the last couple of years. So you know one of the things that they have that I've advised them to do, and they've I think now done, is gone and visited the Georgia senators and and sort of said, look, you know, the, the overall company might be in another country, but. You know, Toyota is in Japan, and yet Toyota has huge facilities in the U.S. So, they, you know, there, there is that balance. But I, I, I think that it's just not my job, though, to defend the industry. It is my job to sort of educate about the industry and things like, um, you know, if if we were to completely get rid of the antitrust exemption, for instance, uh, it would hurt medium uh, and small ports in the United States because there would simply be less service. And if you don't believe there'd be less service and there, and, and th there would be just as much service, then you, there would be a lot more ships and that means a lot more pollution. So either way you slice it, it would be, it would be a loss. And as long as we continue to monitor these uh, alliances as closely as we do, it's, it's more, uh, frankly, pro-competitive to, to have them than anti-competitive. In fact, my bigger fear is with the M2 breaking up that that you'll see a, a whole new set of constellations, potentially a wave of mergers and acquisitions, um, because of the alliance structure being threatened from the from the private private side. I'd like to ask you more about that. But when we saw you two years ago, you mentioned about lines needed to be better at PR, which it sounds like what you're saying they are a little bit, but still a long way to go. Yeah, and, I, and I'm even just talking about government relations. I, you know, um, it's interesting because when you go to their a local office. Um, uh, you know, uh, say Costco, which of course is the Chinese-owned carrier. Um, I've been to their office uh, in, I think it's in Secaucus, New Jersey. I, I mean, they do an amazing stuff in their in their local community. They sponsor little league baseball teams, right? I mean, I mean, it's it's such a different atmosphere. So it's not necessarily the the area around these places. Um, it, it, it's very, very different than the overall sense of the industry. Um, and, uh, and of course, Costco, a very powerful carrier, but the fourth biggest, the other, you know, the th three and five, I don't know how you measure it exactly, but three and five, th the first three and five are all European. Um, the last we checked, all of these countries are our allies. I don't know about Switzerland. That's always confusing. But the, the point is, is that we, you know, so it, it, that, that perception is, is sort of what needs to be addressed. On the other hand, though, I, I will tell you, I, as I said two years ago, I think the carriers had a lot to answer to. Um, uh, the, you know, some of the broader uh, complaints about them may not have been true. They weren't, you know, taking ships off the water in order to bump up prices even more during the COVID pandemic. But, you know, they, they had a lot, a long way to go in terms of uh, their, their service. The detention and demerge system, uh, fairly or not, had frankly just lost credibility with shippers. Shippers weren't picking up their boxes because they said, well, I'm going to get this huge, you know, millions of dollars in, in uh, per diem fees anyway. What doesn't matter what I do? And a lot of what we've tried to do is rest restore credibility to the detention and demerge fees. In, in order, because there, we don't want to get rid of that system. We need that system to encourage cargo flow, but we need it to be fair and credible. Uh, fucking ask. The commission found, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Rebecca uh, died, found that there was no collusion, that there's a you know, super competitive market. And then you go and you get this, uh, this uh, flurry of bills somewhere in the beginning of this year. One of them. Um, calling to basically end antitrust exemptions for carriers. How do you, 
how do you sort of view that in terms of, you know, it's sort of, it's almost like they are disagreeing with what the commission is finding or... Well, so a couple of things. One is Rebecca Dye indeed find that, found that, but actually I appreciate your correction because um, although it is her finding, um, the Federal Maritime Commission, the five of us as a whole, never we never had a vote on that, right? So mm. it, it was her finding as the fact-finding officer, and in that sense you can say it's an FMC conclusion, but it's not you know it's not an official FMC conclusion. I don't feel I I, I thought her report was fantastic, and and I agreed with all of her recommendations, but I don't feel like I know enough to to be able to make that conclusion that there was no collusion, right? Um, all I can sort of say is is that there was nothing actionable on the part of the FMC up until then, um, um, you know, nothing worth you know bringing to court or anything like that. The uh, but so to answer your your real question though, why are these proposals? Uh, look, I think to a certain extent they're symbolic. Um, they are because it's a, a foreign. I mean, some of the the people sponsoring them are the very people whose who you know nearby ports you know would would be harmed. But um, you know when I talk to them privately. You know, they say, well, they know, you know, it's not, you know, they know it's more complicated, right, than that. Um, but, uh, but they, you know, they want to spur action. They want to keep pressure on. Um, and, uh, and, and also, um, like you take somebody like uh, John Garamendi, who supported some of those proposals, but he, he is also very willing to support a proposal that two of the commissioners have, have proffered that um, do, does not get rid of the, you know, alliances or the, the uh, antitrust exemption, but enhances our, as FMC's, power to uh, monitor it and make sure that they don't go on forever without, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some sort of renewal and, and that sort of thing. And I'm very much for that, and I, I think that would be fully compatible with the current alliance structure. Uh, I mean, you can change, uh, and this is, and this I think is also relevant to you know, the, the European Union's reevaluation and other things is that it, it, a change, you know, it, it's not a black and white. It, a change doesn't mean, oh my God, the alliances have to disappear tomorrow if, if we change this at all. Um, obviously, a repeal, that would, but a repeal is not, I, if, you, if you speak, it's certainly off the record, but maybe even on the record, n no, there's no appetite for, for Congress to do that. It simply wouldn't, it wouldn't go through. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think, the, you know, though there's skepticism, um, and, and, you know, incidentally, there are violations, there, there could be collusion that wouldn't be, it, we, we monitor what's in the agreements. Um, if uh, none of the agreements allow the carriers to collude on price, right, they're allowed to space share, they're allowed to talk about a variety of things, I mean, it's all written down there. Um, if they were to collude on price, it, it wouldn't be the Federal Maritime Commission that would enforce it. It's possible they would, they would, it's very possible they would violate the Shipping Act as well, but the actual price, uh, that, that violation of antitrust law would be a violation of traditional antitrust laws that, because it's not in the, in the agreement, they don't have immunity to, and the Justice Department would do it. And the Justice Department, as you may know, is, continues to investigate a couple of things, so, so it's, a, it's a ongoing. Do you think that the um, Commissioner Dye's uh, findings and the extended powers that you have <coughs> through OSRA have moved the dial at all with the shipper and BCO community? Because there has traditionally been a, an us and them approach to doing business with the ocean carriers. Um, I'm just wondering, do, do you see that relationship improving at all? Or getting more, I think, I think 
to the extent it's improving, it probably has far more to do with market conditions <laughs> than with anything <laughs> anything we've done in that the market has basically uh, flipped uh, on its head and now uh, there's uh, far more space than there are, uh, you know, shipments to, to take up the space and that has lowered prices dramatically over COVID and, and they dropped far faster than I predicted anyway. So. Uh, the uh, I think where where we've really done some good, and um, it, it's not so much from Rebecca's report, but from uh, Rebecca's work on the incentive principle and uh, the uh, unanimously supported uh, uh, interpretation interpretive rule, talking about detention and demurrage. Um, I think where we we really have done a good job of restoring. Uh, credibility to that system and it, to the extent we haven't we've at least restored credibility to the FMC as a regulator with teeth um, you know we are investigating investigating uh, in some cases for the first time in a long time the major carriers um, sometimes major MTOs um, uh, we have we feel like we have the resources and wherewithal to go after them if necessary now does that that doesn't mean we're not willing to settle a case and in fact most of these cases get settled and that's fine um, you know this is we, this is not criminal yet you know criminal law it's civil law uh, we just want to set up a, a credible deterrent and a, so that the carriers um, you know, frankly, don't have an incentive to get away with something because their comp competition is getting away with it. And there, I, I won't say we don't still have a long way to go and we have to finish the rules we are doing, et cetera, the, the regulations we are doing in answer to OSRA, but I think we've come a long, a long way. And that has had maybe not a direct impact, but certainly an indirect impact on, on ocean shippers. There may be sort of vexatious cases being brought at the moment. Vexatious cases being brought, whereas... People have seen others getting away with it. They've got a, yeah. a, a bugbear from something that happened during the pandemic period, the supply chain crisis, and they're seeing a lot of cases coming to the FMC now, um, and that people are going to try it on, <laughs> yeah. effectively, um, because they've seen others be successful. Um, and also, there, there does seem to be a higher volume of cases going through. Do you have the resources to actually be able to handle and and address all of these as they come through. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. First of all, uh, to agree with the premise of your question, it's incredible how much the volume has shifted. Um, you know, in some some measures of cases, we've got roughly twice as many cases. But in terms of activity, when you bring in uh, our uh, consumer affairs division, uh, other kinds of case, you know, there's there's private cases filed, and then there's cases complaints we're looking at. It's like roughly about three times the activity. We we used to have one administrative law judge. Now we have three, and and in, in order to just get on top of things, uh, so do we have the the enough resources? The the answer is. No, not yet. We're working on it, but it's not that I'm going to Congress right now and saying, "Oh, you know, that was great. Thank you for giving us the increase you gave us. We want more now," uh, because it's so a part of it is just needing to hire people fast. We need very uh, people with you know very good skills. They don't necessarily have to have the absolute specifics, but they need to you know be good attorneys or good economists, and and uh, and then be willing to work for the federal government. <laughs> uh, so, you know, finding uh, that the, these combinations of people takes time, um, you know, making sure that, you know, we, our organization is such that it's effective takes time. So, but already we've at least established, uh, you know, a far greater level of, of active activity that I think has reinforced that sense that, uh, you know, some people have had success, maybe we will too. Um, and even if we don't, it's, it's worth a try. And, and, uh, and you, know, as, you know, our number of cases... Um, I mean, obviously, 
you know, as detention and demurrage fees are gone down, um, so have uh, some of the cases, but we're still, of course, there is a lag, so we're adjudicating uh, courses that came before. The other thing that's a big deal is the, the bill itself, uh, OSRA had a special fast track process for uh, billing complaints, mostly involving uh, detention and demurrage. Um, uh, so you wouldn't use it for a complaint about a competition thing or, or, or you know, something major like a retaliation or something like that. But for these sort of more strict billing rules, like we, you know, they told us they charged us for a box we couldn't pick up. There's a fast track proposal for that. So that's that, um, and it's still an interim process uh, because we needed to set it up quickly. Um, but it's it's working fairly well. There are kinks that we're trying to get out of it, but it's you know that 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 has also helped to have that new process that you know Congress gave us right. That it, it's it's we nobody can say to us you know, stop doing that. You're over-interpreting, you know, specifically in the law. Yeah. That's a charge complaint. Yes, charge complaint process, yes. Can I just one quick follow-up on that? We've had a number of cases on the on the sort of failure to do business um, coming through. Effectively, people, carriers being accused of not taking contracted bookings. Um, <clears throat> these are being resolved and the, there have been settlements. Do you think that, and, and we're in a period now where the, there's, far more capacity than there are containers to, to utilise that capacity. However, should we go back to a period of tight capacity, do you think the carriers will have learnt lessons and be, have a stronger adherence to their contracts next time around? So, to, to me, there's sort of two, two issues intertwined, naturally, uh, you know, intertwined here. One of them is, is sort of this, you know, refusal to negotiate or, and, and the new law has a clause that you cannot unreasonably refuse the space, not just not refuse to negotiate, but refuse the space. Um, one of the things I've done that is, I guess, minorly controversial is I've taken that refuse the space clause and put it into the refuse, the same, the same rule framework. Um, uh, it's not, it's not formalized yet. So, uh, you know, we're going through the process, but because I couldn't see how we, we as a commission could fully enforce the refuse to deal without also being able to, you know, have the same set of rules more or less enforce the refuse space. So I don't know the answer to your question whether they're, but it will, some of the stuff they did during COVID or at least or allegedly did during COVID would be illegal now and it wasn't illegal before. But the other part of your question, when you start to talk about contracts, that is a real issue um, and the complaints are on both sides. Um, you know, that, that during COVID, it was like the carriers are not obeying their contracts. They're not taking in our boxes or they're taking 40 of our boxes instead of 100. And they're, you know, instead, you know, playing favorites with who's, who's paying more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and then on the other side, you do have a fair down uh, with, the, with the, the, the term of art is fall down rate where people are overbooking on ships. You know, frankly, trying to particularly like agricultural exporters in the U.S., they may book on a couple of ships because they can't afford not to get on. They're so they overbook, and then it leads to the carrier saying, "Well, look, don't blame us for you know, you know, uh, putting a hundred hundred filling our ship with one hundred and twenty percent, you know, planning because you know the, the, mm -hmm. there's this fall down rate, and that is something that's not. It's it, although there's a cl clause that does give us a little bit more oversight over contracts and their terms. In OSRA, um, I think it's fair to say that we still need to look at that issue. I think I'm not sure if it's a governmental solution, but we might be able to help. I mean, this is one. It's a it's a it's a game theory problem, right? It's it, the industry. It's it's a self. You know, both sides are losing in the end. 
Um, so there should be some sort of way to solve it. And it is so market-based. One of the you know, potential private sector ways to solve it are things like NYSHEX and other kinds of uh, freight exchanges where um, both sides kind of put up uh, you know, some money in a pot, right? And they say, okay, well, if we don't show up with the cargo, you get the, the carrier gets the money. If the carrier doesn't give us space, we get the money. And because of the market conditions now, we're seeing that the, the, the uh, shipper, they, you know, the exporter, for instance, won't show up with the cargo, and then the carrier is entitled to that money, and they say, no, 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 we, we'd rather get along well with this customer. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, so there's a real issue here, just how powerful the market is over anything that, you know, any kind of a contract itself. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't think it's nefarious. I don't really think it's nefarious. I think it's just the nature of a contract is, you know, in some ways worth the paper it's written on. Now, keep in mind, I'm not an attorney. <laughs> but that's it. It's just a piece of paper. And if there's too much space, you know, we'll, we'll take it. And if there's not enough space, I'm sorry. I don't care how many pieces of paper you have. But in the past, the FMC has proposed or tried to get both sides to um, um, include an arbitration clause or something like that within the contracts. Neither, you know, it never really worked. Neither the carriers nor the shippers would do it. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, would, would that have been the solution? Or Ooh, yeah, I mean, it, look, it's something we're cer certainly thinking about figuring out more ways of our, of arbitrating. I know, uh, you know, di different commissioners are doing different kinds of work. And uh, gosh, Janet, uh, not smart enough to answer that question. I, 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 I know it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to find a solution. I do think the FMC has a role to play, though, because it is uh, an area where, again, the industry is hurting itself and it, it becomes a vicious, a vicious cycle. And, it, it, and the decline in efficiency hurts us all. So therefore, it is a, a, certainly of our concern um, because, you know, what you, what you want is a system where there's competition, but there's also reliability that when you buy space, you're going to get that space and when you don't. And, and frankly, look, this gets into another thing that I've become a bit of a broken record on, which is, uh, you know, shippers in the United States, um, even from the fairly large companies, tend not to be experts, certainly not in maritime, but not necessarily even in transportation, but they know their business. They've been in their companies 10, 20, 25 years. Um, if, if they're the executive in charge, they know their business, but they don't necessarily know shipping. And when they got into the shipping, they said, okay, my job is to get things from A to B, right? Or maybe from a bunch of A's to a bunch of B's, but whatever it is, you know, it's a, you know, so, so just draw a line, right? A, a two-dimensional approach. Uh, <coughs> um, and, and now it's increasingly clear, <coughs> excuse me, it's increasingly clear that, uh, that their job is risk mitigation, it's figuring out how do I diversify this supply chain so if something happens here or there or wherever, if there's a pandemic or a weather event or a war or a, a, a somebody getting stuck in a canal or low water levels in another canal, that you can still get stuff to market and still and still sell stuff to your customers, particularly when the demand might be there, right? So uh, that that is change that's changing everything. And what we're trying to do is take the things that there that we do have some control over, like. To, per diem costs and, 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 and make sure that those are fair in a fairly stable and predictable system or things like rates and make sure those are as transparent as possible because of all the stuff that nobody can predict. You mentioned earlier, you referred to 2M, which is going to split up at the end of this year. Um, 25. 25, sorry. There are still hopes of reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> Would you want them to reconcile? You, you I, I, I would have no. I would have no opinion on that. <laughs> you seem concerned that it might sort of trigger another round of um, mergers and consolidation, or 
or maybe you've even worse. I mean, why why do you, are you getting that sense, or is it just a sort of gut feeling? I, I actually am getting the opposite sense. I, I I was so concerned about it at first that I've asked a lot of questions, and it, it seems that the remaining alliances are actually, in some ways, the breakup has made them both uh, healthier. I've heard that more about one than another. Um, but but in no in no case did people is there any sort of conclusion? Oh, we're going to, uh, you know, oh this means this this is the end of our alliance or whatever. Um, there has been talk of obviously mergers and acquisitions and, and HMM, which you're, you've you've reported on, um, and other kinds of things. Um, I don't know if you that may just that I think that's more spurred on by simply the large amounts of capital that the lines have because of the the COVID uh, COVID windfall. And I, I actually think to their credit, they're trying to figure out okay, well, how do we make our, our businesses stronger for the future? Um, but uh, but yeah, there's always going to be concern about that. Um, I I. I, I you know, I can't. I have. I've had private conversations with both uh, 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 chief executive office, officers of, of both MSC and uh, and Maersk, and I, I won't tell you, you know, much about those conversations. But I can tell you that both of them assured me that they they are not looking to get remarried. So in that sense, uh, it, w it wouldn't be one of those things, you know, they, they, they're big, they're both big, they're both, you know, it's important that they have real competition, right? That, that um, so it is important, I think, that the remaining alliances either continue to exist or exist in some form or whatever. Um, I'm agnostic to all of that, but um, so that there be proper competition and proper service to America's ports, particularly our, our smaller and more medium-sized ports. But, um, but I, I, you know, I'm not panicked. I'm concerned. In the past, the FMC has held um, summits with Brussels and, and China. Do you still have a relationship with your opposite numbers in Beijing? We certainly do, but we have not had uh, a meeting in enough time that it's time to sort of have another meeting. And uh, I, I, I have no doubt that the, the, the our counterparts, if you will, um, with uh, uh, you know, their their uh, maritime agency, um, are, you know, that it, it, it doesn't, right, they're fine, I think, you know, they would like to meet, but um, but broader politics, we, you know, got, everybody's got to make sure that, uh, you know, that uh, it, it's it's okay and proper, and, and it just so happens that they were the ones whose turn it was to host uh, the next one, though the European Union's turn to host ended up being virtual, so I don't know if that's created some confusion, um, but we do have bilateral, uh, unofficial, you know, contacts with them. It's not like we're totally out of touch. Um, but I do think a trilateral between all three of us, which is we try to do every two years, is very important and particularly important because the last one was virtual. Um, and then, of course, I have, a, 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 you know, a fair amount, a great deal of contact, as do the other commissioners, particularly Commissioner Dai, who's our ranking Republican, um, with, uh, with the uh, DG comp in, in Brussels. So, we, again, we don't have to have the same systems, but we have to have systems that are compatible enough that you don't have to change ships in the mid-Atlantic or mid-Pacific because the, the regulations on one side of the ocean are different than the regulations on the other. Do you get any sense of the, um, how the EU consortia rule review is going? So have they discussed that with you? Uh, I can answer your second question, but not your first. Your second question is yes. Yeah. <laughs> the answer to the second question is yes. But I... I, I, I can't give you a sense. I, we can't, I, I thought this was a no-spoiler podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
So it wouldn't, I mean, whatever the outcome of that, I mean, you just have to accept. I'm, I'm confident we can work together, as we always have. So whatever the outcome of that, uh, of that absolutely. Um, but um, but it's their business, right? It's not it's not us, and they have a very different system. And frankly, the block exemption is very different than our uh, uh, than our partial antitrust, you know, waiver. So it's just not you know it's important for us to have the contact, but certainly not something that that I feel like we I would have any role in weighing in. Mm. I mean, that just wouldn't be appropriate. But n nor would I would would my uh, would I be helpful? So so you know they they have their own process. And that, I'm afraid, is where we shall leave it. As you can probably tell, that was a conversation that went on for quite some time. But we have a few other audio treats coming your way over the next few days, so I don't want to spoil your appetite. My thanks to Dan for gamely submitting to the group interrogation, and of course, thank you for listening. Goodbye.